All right, Scott, it's Black History Month, so you know what that means. What does that mean? I'm rooting for um, everybody black. Let's get started. I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. Welcome to Black History Month, a a pleasure to uh, explore some black history conversations um, as we do every February. You ready? The first in this series for Triloquy. Yeah, and we, uh, and you know, what what I'm most proud of, Scott, about um, what we have planned for this Black History Month is how um, for lack of a better word, diverse the perspectives are. Wide-ranging. Yeah. So there's going to be, um, we're going to hear from folks from the world of uh, jazz radio. Uh, there's an um, improviser, a percussion improviser uh, coming in. Um, there's a local composer um, who wrote an opera about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s mother, who uh, who we're going to talk about. But uh, kicking things off is a, a, a black uh, artist and composer who I would sort of describe as a, a local uh, celebrity, Miss Paviel French. She's a huge name in town. Yeah. Absolutely. And anytime that she is brought in, anytime you need a big woman's voice mm-hmm. with some power, you call on Paviel. Yeah. And, you know, anytime that there's a, a big event where there's a lot of... Um, high-profile names in the Twin Cities, she's on it. Yeah. What what uh, what drew me to her originally, you know, one of the uh, first uh, concerts I, I attended here uh, in St. Paul was uh, when Paviel wrote a piece of music in honor um, of her mother, the Requiem for Zula. And in the uh, composition of that, um, there was a, a Minnesota Originals that came out, uh, you know, a local right. a public television sort of special. I'll have a, a link to that in the uh, description of this episode. But at that concert, Concert, um, you know, what was incredible to me was seeing how colorful the audience looked. Mm-hmm. The, the the audience hall, you know, the, the audience in the hall um, looked a, l- a little different than audiences usually do. And I think that really speaks to the power of engaging community through music, the way Paviel, um, you know, celebrates her native Rondo and everything she does. So, yeah, um, it, it's a real honor to, to kick off Black History Month um, by hearing from uh, Paviel. You know, uh, listening back uh, to the interview that we did, one of the um, big things that I noticed was how many people toward the beginning of our conversation that she's given a shout out to, you know, all of these very important names in um, black music and black history that, you know, you don't always get to hear from. And mm-hmm. and it really makes sense of a question that I had planned on asking each of the guests for uh, Black History Month, which is what is wrong with Black History Month? Uh, we can talk uh, for a long time about, you know, it you know, in jest or otherwise, how it's the shortest month of the year, and that's the that's Black History Month and all that sort of thing. But really uh, what I'm digging into or what I hope that the guests will uh, think about this month when I ask that question is how um, curriculums and how education um, sort of uh, cuts the conversation of black history uh, short, even during Black History Month. We all hear about Martin Luther King Jr. and, mm-hmm. and some of these other names, but um, you know, George Washington Carver uh, comes to mind, but there there are so many conversations that are just missing from from the Black History Month curriculums. I mean, when you think of when you think back to your Black History Month days in, oh, in Omaha, we have to go that far back. <laughs> no, I remember three names: Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey. Oh, that's the three that they hounded on. And I'm actually a little surprised uh, to to hear that you know Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey. Uh, made it into the mix, you know, two names that people don't hear about all the time. Right. They tried to break it down. You know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was peaceful. Malcolm X, by any means necessary. Marcus Garvey thought everybody should go back. uh, All the black people should go back to their roots in Africa. Right, right. Well, um, you know, while black history, um, you know, thinking decades back is definitely important, um, you know, with the guests that that we have planned for this month, I, I really had a more... 
I don't know, a more contemporary take on black history to explore because there are some, you know, names from not decades ago that we don't explore all that much. And I'm going to I'm going to shamefully admit that before moving to Minnesota, I just didn't know that much about Prince. Mm. And he's a you know, obviously he's a big name here and a a big name in the music industry. But uh, thanks to my friend Pete, who was on an early opus of Triloquy, shout out to Pete Collin. um, uh, I went to uh, Paisley Park and and got a real in-depth look at not just his career, but the levels and the depth of his musicianship and how um, incredible he is. So, you know, if it were if it was up to me, I would make sure that uh, folks like Prince were uh, getting a little more attention, you know, as one of those big names in in music uh, as he was, but also someone who really had a deep impact um, on communities here um, in Minnesota and a really lasting um, impact on the world. I, you know, I, I like to think that even one day um, his music will become part of the canon, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, when we uh, when we when we talk about more pops, classical radio stuff. You know, we'll put Beatles arrangements on and all that sort of thing, but um, but. Prince's music um, lends itself to really beautiful classical arrangements. Um, I was on the Internet not too long ago and found um, an ensemble. They're known as the String Space Quartet, and they have a really beautiful rendition of When Doves Cry that, I don't know, hopefully we can get that on the radio sometime. playing string arrangements of Beatles tunes and Paul yeah, McCartney tunes, yeah. so why not? So, so why not? Are there, um, are, are there names in the world of black history that you think, you know, deserve more of a spotlight, not just, in, you know, uh, obviously across the board, but especially in musicians? February? Yeah, not just your musicians, anyone. Okay, well, because I was going to mention Ben Harper. Okay, talk to me about Ben Harper. Ben Harper records analog, and... He is not only uh, a great musician with an incredible voice, but his recordings have a warmth Mm. and a depth to it that you just don't find elsewhere. And um, I think that Gary Clark Jr. is just getting the spotlight, even though he's been around for a while and he's been, you know, he's been... Paying those dues. Yeah, I, I first heard about him watching the Grammys a, a couple of weeks ago. Well, I yeah, I heard him on uh, Colbert Report, uh, or not Colbert Report, but on um, The Late Show, whatever show he does now. And uh, I thought that uh, This Land is Mine was sort of a continuation of This is America, mm. you know, sort of more... Um, you're um, talking about the uh, the Donald Glover, This is America. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm sorry. I, I, I really think that uh, Gary's is a little bit, uh, it's biting in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Raw in a different raw way. Raw in a different way. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Those are two names that I think that, um, we should pay more attention to. And I'm sure that Gary Clark Jr. is going to be getting plenty of attention after that Grammy performance. Yeah, and I'm, I think I'm going to spend some more time with Gary Clark Jr.'s music as well, because again, um, uh, celebrating the diversity that is black music and, and, and black history. So, um, yeah. Well, before uh, we jump into the conversation with uh, Paviel, I would like to shout out someone else who I think is definitely going to be in the uh, black history you know, textbooks in, in years to come, uh, Issa Rae, who is a, a television and movie producer. Um, she, you know, you can kind of look at her journey by uh, taking a look at her YouTube channel, some of the early plays and, you know, sort of shorts that she wrote and, and different series. Um, so back at uh, the 2017 Oscars, I believe, she was walking down the red carpet and, uh, you know, answering questions from the reporters like like they do. And one of the reporters asked her, 
her. Um, so um, do you have your, your eyes on anyone? Or is there anyone that you're hoping um, to get the special win? And that's when she said, I'm rooting for um, everybody black. Now, that phrase, I'm rooting for everybody black, has kind of become iconic in a way. It's definitely um, a very popular hashtag. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that hashtag on at, at the top of my profile. And um, I actually got a T-shirt with that phrase on it, I'm rooting for everybody black, mm-hmm. um, uh, as a gift from someone. And um, I posted it on, um, I want to shout out Jessica Majunkin. Um, I posted it on her uh, Facebook page and sort of just in jest said, oh, wow, what if I uh, wear this to the uh, Sphinx competition? So if you don't know, you know, Sphinx is an organization that promotes the work of black and Latinx classical musicians. I posted that um, on um, her page and, you know, someone from Sphinx asked me to take it down because I am, you know, a face of Sphinx Mm -hmm. in in many ways. And there were some members of the Latinx community that felt a little uncomfortable um, with that. So I did. But I just wanted to uh, make sure I I mentioned that, especially, uh, you know, as we enter uh, Black History Month here on Triloquy. I don't think there's anything wrong with rooting for everybody black. And that doesn't mean that I'm not rooting for other folks and other communities. But as a black person, I, I shouldn't have to apologize for for putting, you know, my folks first. Are you in control of any sort of an award or monies or anything like that? None of those things. And I, and I know okay. that was the concern. Now, if you were, I think that is totally legit. Okay. They're, they're, they're grief. All right. I'll have to spend some more time thinking about that because even if I was involved with somebody went in some money or or something, I still should be able to affirm myself. And that, you know, and that speaks to um, the issue of that phrase, people of color. You know, you put so many people under this single umbrella when we all have uh, different historical struggles and his, historical um, uh, challenges uh, or, or historical things that manifest as modern day challenges, you know, and I don't know. I'm, I'm rooting for everybody black. And um, I'm sorry that some folks are kind of uncomfortable with that, but that's something I definitely want to um, affirm for black history. And among those people, you know, who I'm rooting for is Pavel French, who we'll hear from right now. Miss Papiel French, it is an honor to have you here on Triloquy. Thank you so much for coming in. Glad to be here, You're y'all. Welcome. You know, when we were, uh, Scott, when we were developing uh, Triloquy, you know, really around this time last year, um, we were kind of thinking of guests who we thought it would be really fun to to have in. And you were definitely among the very first people whose names uh, came up. We wanted to make sure, you know, we had we had all our stuff together before oh. we had you in. So <laughs> appreciate y'all. Yeah, it, 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 is, it, is a, it is such a pleasure to have you here. I know, oh. Scott, uh, you're, you're a fan of uh, of Pavi. I am. You remember all the way back to Little Blue World? Yeah. You know, that, that song for the 50th anniversary yes. of Minnesota Public Radio. And I'm listening to it and I'm going yeah okay it's snappy and the lyrics are catchy (laughs) and then you come in and every hair on the back of my neck stood up when you started to to sing and then i got to introduce you at bring the sing outside at como pavilion in 15 degree weather and i'm up on stage trying to tell her how much you know i appreciated her voice and she's looking at me like yeah can we get this started (laughs) it's cold out here it was so cold oh yeah it was so cold like i had a hot hot cup of tea Mm -hmm. and it lasted about two minutes like i mean then it was i mean seriously lukewarm it was no joke i thought like it was the craziest thing i've ever done as far as being a singer like singing in that degree weather with my voice and with the instruments it was just wild Mm -hmm. yeah it was wild yeah and then, you know, one of my early exposures to you was your uh, collaboration with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. You know, how that changed not just what was happening on stage, but what was happening in the audience oh, and yeah. what the audience looked like. And yeah. so so we're going to um, hop into that um, here in a bit and, and, you know, hear more about your upbringing and your relationship with uh, St. Paul and the Twin Cities. Yeah. Uh, but something that um, I'm... I'm asking each of the guests for uh, Black History Month on the the Black History Triloquy opuses is what is wrong with Black History Month? So uh, in school, you know, everyone learns the name uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and and, and some of those other folks. We know that uh, George Washington Carver invented peanut butter and all of that. Mm -hmm. But are we really um, hitting the mark? Um, with, with Black History Month and the way we're we treat it and the way it's taught in your from your perspective, no, I mean I think yeah. I think um, it's exactly what you're speaking to. Where there's 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of black people who have done so many things and made so many contributions mm -hmm. in history um, to make everything the way it is today. Um, and we're living, we're living on their legacy. Yeah. Um, and no, nobody's talking about them. Nobody's really speaking on them. And it tends to be the same reiterations of things over and over reiterations of stories. And yeah. even in movies and all other points of art or anything that we do, it seems to be recycled and we don't have to do that right. it's like we're not digging deep enough and and not that those stories aren't important but uh, again there are so many we others as you said yeah <laughs> yeah we know them and you know they they it's like it, we are all to be celebrated you mm -hmm. know you can't just it's not just a few like you know it's always that thing where it's always, it could only be one or you know and, and it just speaks to that same line of all that you yeah. know and it's like no there's so many contributions so many things that we have done in this world that people don't even know about that i don't even know about and yeah. i love history and i'm into that my mom was a teacher you know like i was a reader but there's even so much more that i don't know that i still continuously learn and have to learn and that's the same for everybody else i would love to see um people celebrated and and learn more about the depth of our culture and what we've contributed and what we've done right especially as african-americans you know and, and you know this is the first time uh that we're behind the mics uh since the passing of kobe bryant and yeah. you know what it makes me think of uh is celebrating the living and, and not that mm -hmm. someone goes irrelevant after they pass away but we we spend so much of our energy on people who are gone and mm -hmm. we kind of overlook uh people who are here we don't yep. give them their flowers while yep. they're alive and, yep. and, and that's something else that i think is very important uh you know scott i was talking to you earlier about uh gary clark jr you know this yeah, this black blues singer uh that i i had never heard of you know that mm -hmm. that hadn't made it into my circles and a name that isn't in the black history curriculums you know I as did, it were i did play that for you but <clears throat> something else must have been going on that it didn't stick with you when mm -hmm. uh, this is my uh, this land is mine is right. that the, the title of it yeah when that one came out I I heard it really early on on the Colbert report and and again it was just one of those moments where uh, I I couldn't look away I couldn't stop listening it it just drew me in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. um, so Pavio how about you uh, talk to us uh, a little bit about your upbringing you know when we talk about Black History Month and the things we overlooked I'm sure there are all sorts of um, musicians and artists that you grew up around that again don't make the history books but mm -hmm. play a very important role in who you are now as an artist oh for sure um, I grew up in Rondo the Rondo neighborhood um, right on Carroll and Victoria so mm -hmm. Brooks was at one end of the block the VFW was at the other end of the block and that's like where the Rondo commemorative plaza stands yeah. right now so I grew up at the end of that block okay um, and my grandmother lived right across the street that's where my mom grew up so like we were very uh, uh, stationed in that neighborhood yeah. and Maxfield was right down the block and that's where I went to school wow um, and that's where I was really opened up because like my mom was a musician but she um, was also a young mom and you know you just sometimes you don't end up doing what it is that you want to do because life happens other responsibilities yeah. so you know she was very uh, encouraging with us with me and my brother to do music to be artists um, and to celebrate the creativity that we had in our house and stuff so it was very much encouraged um, and when I got to Maxfield I joined choir and did my very first like professional production with Mary Hafner oh wow yeah, and it was so cool because like Mary Hafner she was the music teacher at Maxfield, but she was also one of the musical directors at Pilgrim Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. where, where, so, we've, mm -hmm. where we've been. Yeah, that's yeah. Fun. To hear, you know to how hear historical Jacob that is. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out so, to him. you know, yeah. it was, that was my mom's church home, you know, so that was that whole connection. It was like the people that were teaching us taught my mom or worked with my mom, you know, because she was a school teacher at Maxfield as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was like I had this wonderful community of people around me. My brother being uh, 11 years older than me, he was already working with Jan Mandel and Mary McClinton. May he rest in peace because he just passed away. Right. But he was working with Mary McClinton, you know, as mm -hmm. like 16, 17, 18 years old. You know, he was part of Central Touring Theater. And then he started working with Penumbra. And so because he was working with Penumbra Theater, you know, I started coming around. And I went to yeah. preschool there, you know what I'm saying? I went to preschool at the same building that Penumbra's in. So it was like I was always there. It was a part mm -hmm. of my whole entire life. And I even started working there at Penumbra when I was a teenager, that whole thing. So then I was raised up by all these wonderful people, T. Michael Rambo, Dennis Spears, Regina Marie Williams, you know, yeah. like all the greats, Greta Oglesby, you know what I mean? Like anybody who's anybody, Austin Van, like Jim Craven, gosh, just everybody, Benny Cannon, the Steels, like all these people 
you know, formed me and shaped me by either watching them or by them actually taking a vested interest in me. And these are all people that had a direct connection to the Rondo community. Yep. For, and my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and my yeah, uncle, you know, because my uncle played in Purple Haze, Haze, the mm. group that Sunny Knight was in, which yeah. was like crazy because I ended up being Sunny Knight's background singer. Um, and didn't even know Sonny in that way. And then, you know, I told him who my uncle was and he was like, I loved your mom. She was my favorite, you know, and like found out that him and my brother are family, you know, they're connected by blood and, you know, just that whole thing. It's just my whole life is these uh, constant full circles. Yeah. Everything like everything comes back to, OK, this all makes sense, you know, and I can remember, you know, like why. I've gone this particular route and why the, why my path has gone down this way. To, every time I get to these particular places, I go, okay, now I know. I know what I was prepped for. I was prepped for that. This is why. This is why this is happening, you know? Yeah. And, and it's because the same people have been around me my entire life. It's like I've been fostered by these people, and then they're also helping me continue as a mid-career artist. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Even just by the support, by coming to my shows, by the l- nice little notes they leave me in my inbox and, you know, just the encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as as much as we talk about Rondo uh, connections, it was mm-hmm. the, you know, sort of disconnecting of that community that, that has a lot of people um, talking about it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's the reason why I know what the Rondo community is. For, for folks who don't know, could you uh, refresh us on what happened to Rondo uh, as far as splitting the community apart? Yeah. Rondo was a thriving community um, that was full of black businesses, black homeowners, um, and just community and network. Um, And then I think I want to say it's like, uh, let's see, my mom was 11, so 1965. Mm. They... Uh, proposed that freeway. It was supposed to go through Pierce Butler, I heard, but then they decided to put it through the Rondo neighborhood. Mm. And that's, you know, the whole idea of 94. And, you know, it was like that time with clover leaves and, and, uh, um, uh, you know, um, cul-de-sacs, you know, so it was that whole time where they were building and doing all that kind of stuff. And yeah, they put the freeway right through the neighborhood and split it apart. Um, and, you know, split it at uh, Concordia and at St. Anthony. So, you know, which is old Rondo now and stuff like that. But they put it all the way through the community and it turned it into, you know, two different areas. And, you know, we had to figure out how we could stay closer together and make, you know, have it, throughout all of it, build community and still remain in community and not right. be split in that whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 1965, yeah. the the height of the civil rights movement, I think the Voting Rights Act mm-hmm. uh, yep. happened in 1965. Yep. You know, again, things that make it through the Black History Month curriculums, but learning about the Rondo community is just something that, you know, d- doesn't make it through. And, and Scott, mm-hmm. in uh, I think in a previous Opus of Triloquy, you, you talked about the differences in which the high you know, that highway and maybe 35 is different. Mm-hmm. How, you know, the speed limit is one thing over here. Right. So we so we maintain this community and make sure that, you know, they're safe and aren't disrupted. But over on 94, the highway that split Rondo is a com- completely different story. That was when Devon Gray was in. I think that's like mm-hmm. seven or eight or something like mm-hmm. that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And that's where, you know, sometimes um, these protests where they were shutting the interstates down – migrated over to Interstate 35, you know, yeah. as a as a gesture of this inequity. Yeah, and, and it, as much as it might be a quote-unquote inconvenience for the people who are caught up in those protests, you know, uh, Pavi, as, as, as you can speak to, it's more than just an inconvenience for your community to be ripped apart. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and y'all will be all right. It'll be just like an hour <laughs> traffic. Y'all be cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not... I think people um, just get mad at the truth of it. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you're not mad at the inconvenience of it. You're just mad because you just kind of want people to pipe down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. you know, and people have a right to. As you know, as taxpayers, I always say, like, we got a right to say what we need Absolutely. to say. Absolutely, sure. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and you and, know, and what big change has come about without someone being again inconvenienced mm-hmm. a little bit? I'm sure the Revolutionary War was inconvenient for someone. The <laughs> okay. Civil War, Civil War, okay. <laughs> yeah, could you hear them grousing about 
War. Yeah. You can hear it now. <laughs> Dang plastic carpetbaggers. <laughs> you know. So uh, in the de- in the description of this episode, I'm going to uh, put a link to a, a TPT, the local uh, public television station's uh, feature about your collaboration with the uh, SBCO. And that feature actually starts in the Rondo community. You mm-hmm. you show us um, your grandmother's house where your yeah. where your mother grew up. Um do you go back there often? Is oh, is it an experience for you to go back oh, yeah. on that lawn that your grandma didn't want any of the kids on? Yeah. I'm sympathetic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sympathetic. My nana was a master gardener. Mm, you yeah. know what I'm saying? A master gardener. Yeah, she was the kind of person that would like decorate bowling balls and put them on sticks. And, oh, okay. You know, have that kind of thing. Have the 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 white. Uh, you know what's that? It's, it's it's a certain kind of material. It's those white benches. Oh yeah, um, I know what you're talking it's about. It's not cement, but you know uh, what they porcelain. are. Porcelain. Not, not is porcelain. it porcelain? But I know you what you're know talking about. You know what I'm about. talking about? Yeah. The white benches and the chairs and stuff, and she keep. Them. She'd be out there spackling them and yeah. <laughs> making sure they still right. <laughs> she did not play about her gardens. My mom didn't either. They were they were very much about the land. But they come, you know, my grandmother came from Mississippi and okay. they had land and you know that kind of thing. They were raised with that and they were preachers' kids. So yeah. you know they they had that kind of upbringing. And so my grandma always kept that connection to the earth and we had to do that too. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But I do. I, I went back yesterday. I went. Um, oh, okay. And just to go see, I usually go through there and tip through there because it was. 853 Carol was our house, and then 852 Carol was my grandmother's, and then 853 Marshall was the last house that we had moved. That's where my mom bought her house and stuff okay. like that. So it was literally in a three-block radius was where I lived in that area. We yeah. moved literally up the block. <laughs> you, you, you must walk through you know, that group of houses mm-hmm. and just hear the music that you oh, grew yeah. up with, hear the songs that, you're, that your yeah. mother sang. And remember like seeing the people on the block and who all used to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I can, like, you know, it's close my eyes and see that see people um you know in their yards doing what they do yeah i don't i totally remember that i spent a lot of time on my grandmother's porch just people watching yeah that was her thing people yeah. watching uh-huh. <laughs> so i do that with her you know what i mean like sure. whatever she was doing i was doing if you know if she was watching me if my mom had to work or whatever because sometimes my mom would work uh summer school and teach at summer school so then i'd go and if i wasn't doing a summer program i'd go be with my grandmother yeah so yeah i remember those days and wow. just hearing um the music you know here because she liked a lot of blue and she liked a lot of church music and stuff like that. She had a piano in her crib and yeah. that mm. kind of thing. She didn't play it, but I did. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, your appreciation for uh, community uh, led to this um, collaboration with the SBCO, you know, the performance of A Requiem for Zula. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you talk about the church music and the and the blues and the jazz. Mm-hmm. Um how did you figure out a way for that to translate into a medium that most would consider classical outside of that blues and jazz that you grew up around? Um, I figured just because I had an orchestra, I could just say, okay, this is what it this is. This is what we do. Yeah, because, you know, I'm <laughs> writing pieces for orchestra, and I consider that classical. It's just black yeah. classical. Yeah. You know, it's just black classical, and it's got that sound. Because, like, I, I think of um, Isaac Hayes and Barry White. Those two... Um, and James Brown, too, and Fela Kuti, really, but just in different kind of ways. They were the orchestrators of their pieces, and they put together these long, extended play, funky uh, pieces with all these different instruments and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, then that's that's no different than Tchaikovsky for me. That's no different than even Big Band and Chick Webb and Duke yeah. Ellington. Like, I feel like this is all along the lines. Once you, If you get a whole bunch of musicians together, that's when it becomes that orchestra. That's when it becomes classical realm. It's just, it doesn't have to sound like the prototype. It doesn't have to sound like Mozart and yeah. all that. You know what I mean? And, and I always think, as musicians, we evolved the craft, but that's one of the uh, genres that I never really see evolve because people are still making new pieces to mimic what we used to hear. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear people do things out of the norm like that, you know, like with, especially with Barry White and Isaac Hayes were really doing because yeah. they had the strings and the bassoons yeah. and elbows and all that kind of stuff. And to hear them doing like straight up funk mm. like on the same level as parliament on the same level as earth wind and fire mm-hmm. tower of power you know and, um uh, chicago blood sweat and tears like that whole thing um that that evolves the craft and that evolves the art and that's what we're supposed to do we're not yeah. supposed to just keep playing the same thing over and over I am, I am, Scott, I, you know, I am grinning from ear to ear because this is a conversation that it probably sums up the podcast in, in general, just the mm-hmm. idea of classical music and what do we call it. I mean, you know, when when I listen to Pavi talk about um, evolving 
uh, the the craft. You know, it's just it, it's something that we're that we're missing. We're we're missing mm-hmm. that mark in 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 some way. I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on on the lack of evolution that that we're seeing in in classical in music or classical quote unquote you know quote unquote well. My bit is it doesn't seem like we're making a lot of room for the new composers, Mm -hmm. the living composers. Um, We get all of these releases that are, again, all of the pieces that we have a dozen other recordings of it already. I don't know what it's contributing. And I think that it this is just my opinion. But I don't know how far forward we go without giving some airtime to the people who are working now. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, I, I was listening to all those same bands that you were talking about, Barry White and um, Tower of Power and all that, and it was plush. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it sounded no different than the classical albums that my, my parents had. It was just a, you know, there was a, a vocalist out in front. And, and again, if you, like, you mentioned Tower of Power. Right now I'm thinking of a song called um, Some Days Were Meant for Rain. Mm. And I'm thinking about the beautiful flute lines in that piece of music. You know, that symphonic sound is there, but classical music as as it is just does not really accept that nope. in, into the genre. But um, crazy. But, 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 it, but it must have been very... You know, I, I almost hate to use this word validating because classical music as we see it, black classical music, whatever phrase you want to use, does not need validation. Mm-mm. But in a way, it must have been very validating for your perspective to be embraced by the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. Yes, that that part was really cool just to to know that they trusted me. Yeah. And for Trust. this to be okay. my first time out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because I'm used to writing music for bands. You yeah. know, I write music for just, you know, keys, bass drums uh in percussion and background singers you know so to to move my my focus and put it on something like and play these instruments that I do not play that yeah. I you know like I, they they hooked me up with a mentor which was so cool um his name is Lembit Beecher and he was actually the composer in residence when I started working with them so okay. I got to sit down with him and he was like oh this is great this is wonderful you know and then like sometimes he'd be like the violin doesn't go that high Okay. Or, you know, yeah. and it, it's those things that I had to learn. And so then I started studying him and, you know, talking to him about, OK, what's the range here? What's these things and reading and looking these things up so I can know what I'm working with and how to work it? Because I'm playing it all MIDI. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm playing it all into GarageBand and then it scores it on its own. I don't score. I don't do any of that. You know, and they had Michi, um, Michi Wianco come in and help orchestrate the piece and stuff because there were some places where it was like, OK, I need a solo here or I need I want this to sound like this. And I would like just tell her verbatim what it was that I wanted and stuff like that, because I feel like you can do that, too, as a composer. You're still writing your piece. It's still the things that are inside your head. But if you don't have the tools, you can ask for help. And so now I can seriously orchestrate my own pieces because of the things that I've learned. And now it's different, like even the sound and how. I've evolved from the first piece to um, a piece that I'm writing right now. It's it's insane and it's totally different. Yeah, because of what I've learned from the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you, you mentioned like instrument ranges? Do mm-hmm. Do you see limitations of the instruments as a limitation? Do you feel limited or in a box when it comes to scoring for orchestra? No, I think that. Um, Everything I, I liked that it challenged me to be like, okay, you got to have a different sound. Like sometimes, um, if the, the if like I had a flute and a piccolo, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I would be able to you know go back and forth from that and be able to transpose these you know sounds and make something higher or whatever. So I had like options and stuff. Or if you know I didn't like how this clarinet sound, then I would try this oboe, you know, and try it up in its upper range, and you know. It was about trying to put together what sounded good and how to make these things interweave so you can hear each instrument doing each thing. Yeah. So I think I had enough options and stuff. I didn't really feel limited. I I kind of felt like free to do anything yeah. with that because I have so many sounds and so many, you know, different pieces. And with this piece I'm writing, I'm incorporating um, uh, a trap set. And okay. uh, keys and percussion, like African per- per- percussion, like gym oh, bass, nice. that kind of stuff. So, um, it's it's just insane how it's like you're finally doing what you really want to do. Like this is what I really really wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. 
is the right music at this magnitude, be able to take all the disciplines that I do, because it's like I have all these different things being a theater kid like that. And I want to be able to put them all into one thing and manifest these shows like that, you know, so they're kind of like operas, but they're not. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's like I'm singing in them, but I'm playing in them and it takes storytelling. It takes uh, acting. It takes timing, you know, and these things are very well thought out. And I think this is like the best thing. This is my niche. Yeah. Yeah. It must be inspirational for somebody to hear that they can do something like this with something that's readily available like GarageBand mm-hmm. or something that they can do something this big. Um, and before Garrett came in, we were talking a little bit about the process that you went through with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, the help and everything like that. What are you taking forward into this piece that you're working on now from from that first experience? Everything. Like just every everything that I learned um, in, in spacing, timing, you know, like how... how um, how I mesh myself and and weave myself into these pieces too. Um, This one I'm playing a little bit more because I wanted to play a little more, you know, like I spent the whole time in the last piece singing for the most part, but there are some things that I feel like I want to articulate through music. And there's, there's some feelings of the piece that I can only articulate through something instrumental. So um, Everything that I learned doing, you know, working with Limbit and working with Michi and placing things and space for little flute, little little mm. little trills and little pretty stuff. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, Just, how that flute go again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do it again. <laughs> I'm just joking with you. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like yeah. just um, being a very uh, in- intentional. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, with with what it is that I'm writing, and it's not just a piece of music, but it really means something. Where if I had absolutely zero lyrics in the piece, it would tell the same exact story. Right? Because I'm really on the fence about singing in this piece. Yeah, I'm really, really on the fence. I don't know, and I said I would, but I'm just <laughs> like sometimes it just it goes so hard just to listen to it, and it's like I don't want to sing on it. I just yeah. want to hear that. <laughs> Watching that video from uh, Minnesota Originals, and they showed a little excerpt from the performance and everything. Mm-hmm. Now, Garrett, we we've, we're always talking about the rules, the corners, the lines you have to stay inside with this music. And at the end, you actually got to hold for a minute to kind of get yourself together mm-hmm. and then finish the line and, and finish the piece. Can yeah, you? Because I lost it. Yeah, talk about that moment because such yeah. authenticity you don't see on stage very often. You know? I lost it. I blacked out several times during that piece, that whole piece. Yeah. Like there's pieces that I, I remember it in pieces and I have an elephant memory and it's so crazy. Usually I remember everything. But there are some times where I was flying so high. Wow. Um, so high. Like I was just in another world. And it was like I knew the people were there. I knew everybody was there with me. I felt really, really safe. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I felt really, really safe. It was it was it was amazing. And I could hear everything. Yeah. I could hear things that people were saying in the audience. Mm. I could hear tears. I could hear family. And so I remember it in pieces, but I I know when I got to the end, I was very much there. And like I think it's like like the last four bars, I remember going, "This is it, man!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, it, it's, it's just I shake, I get chills thinking about it seriously because it was like the last four bars. I was like, "You take it home," and uh, yeah, I kind of just looked up, and then everything I lost it, like I wouldn't even. I was with my mom. Yeah. I, I really honestly think I was with my mom for, and, and, just for a hot minute. And, and as I don't have to tell you, you know, that moment is so much bigger than that moment, so much bigger than you or the orchestra. It's it's the idea of, again, breaking down what seems like a big barrier between people and an organization like the SBCO, you know, classical music, just opening that space up. In the um, in the prelude uh, to this uh, opus, Scott and I kind of talk about uh, one of Issa Rae's um, uh, infamous quotes, I'm rooting for everybody black. Yep. <laughs> and that is, you know, that's what brought me to that concert. Mm-hmm. That That's, you know, I, I'm always keeping an eye out when, when there is blackness being represented oh, in yeah. classical music here locally mm-hmm. and, you know, um, across the nation. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, 
um, the sounds on the stage were different than is typical, but also the look of the audience. That audience looked very colorful. Oh, yeah. Much more colorful than usual. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what can you say to the importance of um, giving black folks the opportunity to root for everybody black, to root for somebody black when it comes to classical music or what orchestras uh, put put out there and present for audiences? Oh, yeah. Um well, SPCO and I, uh, you know, we talked about everything, you know, as far as marketing was concerned. Who do you want to market to? And yeah. I was like, you know who I want to market to. And I, I want to make sure that my people are there um, in celebration because this is this is our story. Yeah. You know, it's my mom's story, but this is our story. Everybody mm-hmm. comes from that, you know, that, that same kind of story, those humble beginnings in Rondo like that. And you... These are the people. I mean, we see everybody in this way. You know what I mean? So I wanted them to be there. And, you know, they made sure that kids were free. And it was like kids to 18, like for real. Like oh, okay. Everybody was free. Okay. And then they made sure that they had um, heavy, heavy uh, discounted tickets and stuff like that so that people could afford it. You know what yeah. I mean? And so that it made people feel like, yeah, this is feasible. We don't have to spend 60 a pop to come right. see somebody that we know and that we love and that we enjoy her work and you know what I mean like it just it made it very we made it very accessible um, for the neighborhood to be there and mm-hmm. um, there is a TC Ben as like the Twin Cities uh, it's a I can't remember the full acronym but it's like TC Ben it's the black uh, it, it, I want to say entrepreneurial network and the okay. business people network um, they held a like a mixer at the spot at, at oh, wow. the orchestra, you know, oh, wow. at, at, during one of my nights, I think it was like Friday night, and I came down. They were like, "Are you gonna? Can you come and meet the people and mm-hmm. stuff?" And it was so cool just to meet a whole bunch of sisters and brothers that I've never met before mm-hmm. that are down there for me. It was just like, "Whoa, this is a trip!" And you done made a night, and I handed out free tickets to folks so that they could come. And I mean, they just went all out. Yeah, they went all out, and it was like not only, I, I guess, it just goes to show when businesses do this kind of thing other people want to do this kind of thing too and it became this real communal community thing you know where it's like i got hit up by insight i got hit up by spokesman recorder yeah you know what i mean so like this became a community thing you know where people were talking about it and making sure that people knew to come out to the orway to celebrate rondo and to celebrate where we come from yes yeah now it's one thing for you know an orchestra or another institution to really uh big you up and and use their platform uh, for that. But the unfortunate truth is a lot of these organizations do that in an effort to pat themselves on the back or to say the community, look, we're, we're, we're being diverse. We're doing X, Y, and Z. Where do you draw the line between collaboration and tokenization? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I draw all those lines all the time. Yeah. I will walk out of anything, and I have been known to do that. But to don't walk out of here, please. Oh, of course not. <laughs> but, you know, like, it's about your dignity and your yeah. integrity as an artist. And it's like, you can't start doing that, because once you start doing it, then they'll always peg you for that. And that's not what I want for my legacy. You know, it, for me, it's like... SPCO and I collaborated, and this was real, down to the point where, you know, when I first met the... Um, yeah, it was on T. It was on the TPT documentary too. Mm-hmm. When I first met the orchestra and some of the members and stuff, and when that one lady was like, "It's about time." Yeah, I think they collectively feel that way. I think that be and they put their money where their mouth is with yeah. with all the different programming and the different ways that they're trying to reach out and get music in these clubs and get music in these different places that are um, un. Uh, it's just it's it's uncanny it's not where orchestras are yeah. you know they're taking them out of the orway and putting them in turf club or putting them in ice house or mm. you know going and doing different things and reaching out to people and saying we want to work with you we want to work with north we want to do this you know and and i see like people that i grew up up under their tutelage working with spco so i know that um they are doing a good job reaching out and being um being real and being authentic in that as they can be, you know, being a corporation and stuff like that and having to move around corporation rules and all these kind of different things that these systems that we work and live in, I think they do a good job navigating that to get to the real people and to be able to uh, shine a light um, on people that should have a light shine on them in that way. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they do a pretty good job. I can't say that for every institution here. That was my next question for you. And not that you have to name anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely, um, 
yeah, I, I really have respect for, for St. Paul Chamber Orchestra and for uh, how much they have invested in me um, trust and um, the ability to do what it is that I really want to do. And, and I don't have a whole bunch of uh, limitations and rules that I have to work around. I can just come in there and be me. I can wear DCs on the stage. You know yeah, what I you mean? looked can, fly at that concert, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was all planned. I was like, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be me to the fullest. We're going to walk out here. I'm not going to, you know, uh, adhere to those rules and, you know, come out here with the high heels and, and the, the long gowns. Gown. Yeah. You know, I could. I mean, like, and I did. I had three different outfits and stuff, but they just all specifically made statements in that mm-hmm. way. Like, this is what I am, who I am, and you can't negate this piece if you tried. Like, you know, there was even people, I remember um, we had a talk back before. It was like this, you know, talk with the artist thing. And there was this one guy in the audience that just really couldn't get over the fact that um, I didn't score this music. Oh, what's his name? Let's drag him. I can't even remember. I know. He, was just, he was like a guy that was just there, you know, and it was just like, he was like, but well, I just don't understand, you know, and it just made it seem like, you know, some people aren't going to acknowledge what it is that I do. But once they heard the piece, you know, what can you say? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter how it gets done or what's the, the means to the end. It's the end product right. in this case. Right. And I think that, you know, SPCO has my back in that way where I can do something like that and it be translated to their language. And then we can all speak this together. Right. Right. Yeah. As, as New York from Flavor of Love said, look at the material. OK. Look at the material. <laughs> it's right here. This is classical music. Mm-hmm. And, it is. And mm-hmm. furthermore, and, and a point that's made in the video, again, the link uh, in the description to this, a point that's made there is that so many of the SPCO musicians are transplants. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a transplant. Scott transplant. Is, Scott is a transplant. You grew up in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. This is your city and that is your orchestra mm-hmm. and you should be represented in in that institution. Absolutely. You know? Yep. And 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 also um have I have an opportunity to work in these realms because the music is professional and because the music is at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It and I should be able to ascend in this realm without having all these things, uh, these ceilings and, and things be in my way. Yeah. Like, I, I really feel like, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and people can get upset about it or feel like it's not, I'm not a real musician in that way or whatever these, uh, these feelings people have. But I'm going to do what it is that I want to do regardless of uh, people you know, down in it. Because like I said, at the end, I'm bit. I'm bit by this. This is Mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, I think, like, it's time. It's time. And I just don't want to be held by these uh, these things that are over us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Even even in, in, like, making the art and and whatnot, I just don't want to adhere to these these things and make people think that things that are supreme are supreme because right. they're not. <laughs> and, 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 and and let's keep it trill. Yeah, when yeah. you talk about these ceilings and these barriers, yes. they're barriers that were created in some cases against folks that look like yep. us and in other cases um, built maybe, you know, non-offensively, but still without our perspectives yep. and our experiences in mind. Yep. You know, so I, I really think it's up to us. You know, to to crash through, to to crash through, and to be our authentic selves everywhere we are, just to normalize who yep. we are, not just in the arts, not just in music, but but yep. across the board. You yeah. bring up you bring up a good point that the St. Paul Orchestra is Paviel's home band. They mm-hmm. should be doing this sort of thing now. About as trill as I can get is my next question. Uh, some of the guests that we've had on recently. Um, have indicated that they did not feel the support that they needed from Minnesota Public Radio, American Public Media. And I was surprised. So I want to get your perspective. Um, Where are our blind spots? I mean, do do you feel like you have the support of Minnesota Public Radio and American Public Media? Do you feel comfortable here? I do feel comfortable here. Um, I think it's because of 
my relationships that I fostered through time. Because mm. um, I've been working with The Current since I put out my album. And I think okay. I put out my album in 2014. Okay, yeah. So like shout, out, shout out to our brothers so, and yes, sisters at The Current. Yes, yeah. yes. So I've been working, I've been coming over here since then. And I have uh, met so many different folks and have always been embraced and have always been uh, looked out for. And they've even... Uh, done the same in in many ways with uh, like like SPCO has done where they trust me and mm-hmm. they understand that I have a vision I have a strategic vision mm-hmm. and I'm not going to waver from it and when I say we should do this we should do this because I know you know and I've always felt like they've had my back on that because you know they they gave me uh, the opportunity to do like a show at the Fitzgerald yeah you know with billing top billing that show you yeah. know and so. And and so many opportunities, uh, the the tenth anniversary of the current, like all the. I mean, I've been a part of so many things here, um, so I I really feel like I've been fostered. At the same time, I think that it's more than just me. Yeah, and that's why I try to always bring other folks in and try to connect with other brown folks and stuff that are working with the current and stuff like that. It's how I've met a lot of the other singers around here and stuff. And I've um, tried to, you know, like hip folks to who the people are and who's out here and who these artists are and stuff like that. Like, I remember I got a chance to take over for Andrea Swinson. Um, oh, when she yeah. had the artist take over uh, for that week and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I brought everybody that I came up with it, that I could. I tried to reach out to everybody and say, hand me a tracks. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we're going to play them on the current. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about you. Give me all your information. Let's do that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of person I am. I'm like, I, I will do what I can do on my feet. Like, whatever wherever I'm at and whatever places I get into that not necessarily made for us or what made for us in mind, I'm in here now. So who can I bring? What can I do? Who can I open you up to um, that also needs this kind of support as an artist, as a local artist here in Minnesota? Right. As, yeah. as, I'll as, do it myself. As, you know? as the great um, uh, Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter said, I might get your song put on the radio station. Exactly. Right? Well, that's real. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is. That's what I feel it like is. to do with my platform. You know, like for many years, I was that artist that was like always politicized, um, always writing stuff about like white supremacy and all these things. And then I realized it, it felt like people were liking it a little too much. Audiences mm. were liking it a little too much. And that became a little too much to me um, to have to perform this pain, uh, this plight. Ooh, yes. And then people enjoy it and go back home and watch Netflix where I've got to come down yeah. at the end of this. Yes, and you be do. In this be in this work and then also be outside of myself thinking about what I just did and how does that help me forward. Um, And so I figured I need to do something different um, as a political activist and as an artist and using my platform. And it's going to look different for everybody. Some people are going to speak. Some people are going to say stuff. Some people are going to do stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, behind the scenes and stuff. And I'm more that kind of person because I've done all that. I wrote two one-woman shows about gentrification, all the things that we've gone through, you know, from slavery on. I've talked about that. And so I just don't want to... I don't want to. I be, I feel like I, I, I'm a high believer in like the there's power in the, in the in the of life and death in the tongue. You know what I mean? I feel like we manifest what it is that we say, and so my new way at being a political artist is to do for mine and do for ours in these places, and that's where I gotta be. Because yeah. for me, I I've spoken truth to power. I don't feel like it's as effective enough in my realm. For I think there's other things for me to do that are effective. I also think that we do need the artists that do that, that speak. And we, we but I've had, you know, you have all your different phases in right. your artist career and stuff. And I've had that phase. But I need, you know, younger artists to continue to do that. Other artists to continue to speak truth to light. But I think that I don't want to speak these things and say, like I said, that, you know, that that it's this white supremacy because it is not supreme and it is not over me. And I have to figure out how I can carry that fearlessness and continue to make the work happen and continue to do the work in that way. I can't speak these things over my life anymore. I got to do something different and still have the understanding that I'm trying to liberate myself 
as well as my people in that liberation. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible that you went there because you know in, in preparation uh, for for the interviews I do, I always just do reading about the guests and I write down what comes to mind. And right here in my journal, I wrote an honest, genuine appreciation of self as a black person is in itself protest. <laughs> and for and for you to loop that into this, you know, yes. really again speaks to. Uh, yes, the reality yes, yes. of being black, not just as an artist, but period. But right. but when you happen to, uh, uh, you know, venture the world of, quote unquote, classical music as a black person or, or a person of color, there are very specific, as you said, there are very specific things that um, that sort of are over you in, in a de facto way mm-hmm. and how you have to traverse that speaking your reality into mm-hmm. truth and, and, and speaking your experience as normal. Yes. Wow. What an, Oh, goodness gracious. My hit out right now. It ain't no hit, but I just be telling people. Oh, I'm it's sure a it's hit. a hit. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my newest song is it's, it's me being me is revolutionary. Mm. And that is the song. And that, that's what I feel like. Y'all ain't going to stop me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I understand that these things are here. But they're not here for me. Mm. And I feel like we as black people, especially black folks, everything that we do, everything that we create is what the juice is. Mm. And we have to wield our power. We have to, like, find a way to wield the power to keep our juice in-house and do what we need to do in this society to capitalize on our own as, as opposed to others capitalizing on that. Mm, you know mm, what I mean? Mm. So that's where I'm at in my mind. Like, I think that it's not about playing the game, but it's about figuring out a way to to have ownership of what it is that you create and what it is that you put forth in here because everybody it's just, it's like we put it out and it's taken and what's ours is ours and i think if we we need to go inward mm-hmm. in that way i just i don't have any time to worry about the, the white folks and the things that you know what i'm saying the things that people are saying and the things that um these old rules these these old 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 rules that have no ap- uh, application to what it is that I'm trying to do here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's power. It's about knowing your power. You know what I mean? And, it, like, you watch Muhammad Ali, you watch anybody <laughs> that was amazing back in that time. Odetta, um, uh, uh, my favorite, um, Ruby D, Ossie Davis. Like, if you looked at any of those folks that were moving and shaking, Josephine Baker, Richard Wright, Nina, these people had it. They understood, like, their power. Mm. And I want to apply that to my life as an artist. It's like, I'm not going to pimp my pain for y'all. That, that, that's... That that it that cuts into my integrity and into my uh, my 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 life force. You know what I mean. We are we are we deserve happy endings to our stories. We deserve beauty. We deserve joy. We deserve all of that. Um, being multi multi layered people, even in our activism, we deserve these these things and and to have our own and to be able to know that it's ours. You know, so that's what I'm pushing for. I'm not trying to operate in a house. You know what I mean? I'm trying to operate in my house at that level. (laughs) (sighs) There's a soundbite right there. Um, I'm tearing up listening to you because it's 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 just so true. You know, you talk about uh, pimping out the pain, and and how hard it gets so hard, and and it gets so tiring. All these things, and you know. It does get tiring because you go, okay, I'm not going to sit up here and tell y'all that I'm a human being. You know, don't, because that just, it makes it exactly what we're here for. It makes it, it's the same feeling. Like, I'm telling you to stop hurting me, but then I'm going to tell you what's hurting me, but then you're going to gaslight me while I'm telling yeah. you what's hurting me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no Q&As, you know, because it's like, you know, the work that needs to be done. I think, you know, stop prolonging. Yeah. Stop prolonging. Go do the work. If you do the work, I will work with you. 
If you don't do the work, I'm not working with you because I have those options. You know, that's what I mean by like a strategic vision. Mm-hmm. You know, even the job that I work, we are heavily into IDI, EDI work. We're heavily into culture change work, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's in every facet of life that I'm working in. That's, that's what we're going to do because I'm not going to continue to sell myself in that way either. You know right. what I'm saying? And just say, okay, I'm the resident person that talks about black people in any format in every artistry format and all these places i'm just the person that they call and it's like what is that doing because that's no different than me being on stage and talking about my plight yeah Yeah. what we gonna do y'all yeah yeah it's all action oh i'm 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 ready to get off the mic and go march um you know uh, and pulling this back around full circle, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, black history and all of those stories that just go untold. Um, you know, if you wanted if you had the opportunity to um, put your mother's name and her story um, into the Black History Month ether, mm-hmm. you know, as people learn, what would you want people to know about her? What, what would you want her, you know, her her chapter in the textbook to to say? I would want, I would just want it to say that you can truly do anything. And and you know what I mean? Like she, she really was that poster child for manifestation Mm -hmm. and knowing your light and and knowing how to wield your power. Like I, I, it's just, you, you can come from anything and you can change your whole narrative. You know what I mean? Because that was her. She changed her whole entire narrative. You know what I mean? Period. Yeah. And I I just, I really admire people like that. That's why I mentioned Muhammad Ali. He's that same kind of person. He changed his whole narrative. You know what I mean? As a black man, he changed his whole narrative. And my mom did that as a black woman. She changed her whole narrative. What she came from, how she made it through that the people that she affected along the way, the teaching of the community, of the people, because she raised up so many people's kids, being an educator, working at Inner City Youth League, being a Girl Scout leader, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Being a garden. She was a part of Selby Gardening Enthusiasts, which was called Sage, and it was like her and Katie Royce, Metric Giles, and they had community garden plots. She's teaching people how to how to fish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And how to get your own and how to survive on your own. She was the board president for Ronald Community Land Trust. She was helping black women buy their homes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she completely changed her whole narrative, stayed in her community the entire time and did it. Yeah. To the day she died. Yeah. And then, you know, how, you know, stories like those can branch out and touch people from so many backgrounds. You know, Scott, I was thinking about you a lot when uh, I was listening uh, in preparation for this to the Requiem for Zula, um, because like Paviel, you you lost your mother. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure thinking about that uh, strikes a chord with you as well. Well, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask her about I wanted to ask you about that final moment mm-hmm. where you had the time to collect yourself and come back to the music and everything. I was in bits. I mean, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you got it back together to to finish. Either the old adage, the show must go on. I hear like my theater teachers in my head like don't go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. like, I've like, heard that a lot. Don't go up. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, finish strong, girl. Finish strong. Because it was like, my voice was cracky. It was even hard to get Z out yeah. at the end. <laughs> yeah. It was all trembly. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah mm. But it's uh, just, to, just to be able to honor somebody like that in itself. I mean, if I die tomorrow, knock on wood that I don't because, you know, I still got plenty of life. But I feel like I've accomplished uh, what I came here for. I have so much more to do. And so it, it just a, it's, the the pathway is like a big circle is just opening up for me. It's not even a straight linear thing. It's just it's a big quasar. You know, it's a big, yeah. huge thing. Um, but I swear, like, out of all the things that I've won, all the things that I've ever done in my life, that was just unbelievable. Well, wow. I didn't even know I could do that. And, yeah. and and we're forever indebted to you for the work and the dedication 
that you do in this regard. How can um, how can folks uh, learn more about you, uh, check out your music, and and maybe even uh, keep an eye out on the more classical things that you're getting into? Sweet. Can I plug a show? Is it okay? Plug everything. So I have a show at the Schubert Club, um, and it's free. So I want people to come out because we're making music for the people, y'all. So we'll be at uh, the Schubert Club February 13th. It's a Thursday. It's at noon, and it's for their courtroom concert series. So it'll be at the Landmark Center. In cool. Really cool courthouse. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. Yeah. And full circle again, I was in Stepping Stone Theater and as a kid, and back then it was at Landmark in oh, wow. Firehousing. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I just keep going back. Just, you know, it's so crazy. It's yeah. so crazy. So we'll be doing that. And um, I have a uh, panel discussion about women in music mm. and like what we do, uh, how we navigate. Because like I'm my own manager, artist, you know, that I'm my own agent, yeah. I book and do all that kind of stuff. So it'll be me. Desdemona, uh, Kathleen Johnson, and Andrea Swinson. So we're going to do a little uh, panel discussion nice. at Minnesota History Center. Yeah, because I made it into the First Ave exhibit. So that's oh. part of that. <laughs> they got like, okay, Congrats. y'all got me on the other side of Lizzo. All right. Yeah. Easy on the other side. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. So um, they can find me um, as Paviel French or just Paviel on Facebook. I have two pages. I tell everybody, follow it. And then my IG is Paviel under score music and my twitter is revolt in uprise and it's our three v-o-l-t in uprise <laughs> Javier french it has been incredible having you thanks so much oh, for coming this in is wonderful thank y'all for having me anytime thank you mm-hmm. so scott what were some of your big takeaways from from our conversation with pavi my takeaway is that Paviel not once has drank pickle juice. Not one time. Okay. <laughs> the listeners don't know what you're talking about. but Well, who was it that you said? Was it Lizzo that... Um... Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll very quickly tell this story. So um, in an interview years ago with Nicki Minaj... There we are. Okay. She said that she went to a, a photo shoot or something and went over to the uh, hospi- hospitality area and there were a few cheese cubes and um, a jar of sliced pickles and maybe some bottles of water. And she and she walked out because, uh, you know, long story short, she said she has to be respected to the utmost standard everywhere she goes. Otherwise, she's going to spend the rest of her life drinking pickle juice. And yeah, I don't get the impression that Paviel has ever done that. She pa- said Pavi- she'd walk right out if she didn't like the situation. Paviel is in control of her art, of what she um, puts into the world. She is the owner of it, and she has that sort of autonomy and that level of freedom, you know, yeah. a, a level of freedom that I'm working toward uh for sure, and, and, and many other folks. So definitely uh, check out Paviel French's work. I have links to the um, the public television uh, special that uh, aired here locally. Yeah, uh, that, that's in the description. Also a, a link uh, to her website. Um, a very important woman of uh, classical music and, you know, every other genre of music who um, I think, you know, will one day be lauded in the pages of 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 black history and and someone who will celebrate not just in February but but every um every month of the year. We'll bring the celebration back around to her in November when her next piece comes out with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. Yeah, absolutely. So on the next episode of Triloquy, um, I'm chatting with a uh, another local composer. His name is Damien Strange. He wrote an opera about a woman that you don't usually hear about during Black History Month, the mother of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so Damien and I, uh, Damien and I, talk a little uh, about her. You know how he ties community activism. Um, with the arts, his his upbringing, what brought him to Minnesota. And uh, we're also going to hear an excerpt from an opera he wrote um, about the mother of Martin Luther King Jr. called um, Mother Mary. So I hope you'll tune in for that and lots more on the next opus of Triloquy. Like and subscribe, even leave a review about Triloquy, if you like, on Triloquy.org. And you remember, you can also reach out to us by sending an email to Triloquy at AmericanPublicMedia.org.